Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. So how do you change someone's political point of view? How do you influence others? How do you change their mind? Kurt Mortensen here. Welcome to Podcast 369. So we take a deep dive in changing people's viewpoints, getting them to accept a different opinion. Can it be done? Let's talk about it. Welcome back, maximizers. As we learn to maximize your income, your ability to persuade, influence, and motivate others, basically get others to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. Let's talk about the art and science of persuasion, a skill we should have learned in school, a skill that'll affect your upward mobility, your income, and everything that you do. So hope you're having a good week. You are pursuing those goals that you set at the beginning of the year. I did a big two-day Zoom webinar for a famous car manufacturer. I'm not going to name names, but we talked about how do you influence without authority? How do you influence up? And how do you negotiate? Remember, negotiation is different than persuasion. With the rule always being persuade first, negotiate second, because persuasion, you bring them to your point of view. Negotiations, give, take, give, take, you meet somewhere in the middle. Both are great tools, but they are different tools. So let's talk about this changing someone's political viewpoint. It could be a religious viewpoint, a social viewpoint, how you raise your children viewpoint. We always want to change people's opinion, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it today. Well, duh. So we have a theme today with the blunder, the geeky article, and listener email. So let's hop into it. Let's talk about it. Let's start off with the persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't. Now, I'm very neutral when it comes to politics or social issues. I love to watch people trying to persuade each other. I watch the persuasion process. I've been doing this for over 20 years where I monitor the persuasion process, whether it be sales watching someone trying to persuade others to buy something, whether it be politics or religion, someone trying to persuade the other person. I monitor these things because it helps me find different persuasion tools, do's and don'ts, and that's how I really learned the persuasion process. And I think it's fascinating when people talk about getting religions or politics or social issues and how they try to persuade each other. So let me put two different experiences together of two people trying to change the other person's mind. And what happened is the way it was done, I call it anti-suasion, things you do that gets people angry or frustrated or just plain mean. Now, when people get mean, they yell at you, they're angry, they're frustrated, you probably didn't do very well in the persuasion process. What's the saying? A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. So it's not working. Why do you keep doing it, trying to force people to believe like you believe? And I've seen these conversations with religion, politics, COVID, get raising children. The first event was around Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. It's been in the news lately. And there were polar opposites. One believed in it. It was the future. It was going to happen. You can't believe in government currency. The other person, no way. It's a scam. It's dead. And both sides were passionate. And both sides thought they were right. Both had facts. Both sides had websites and proof. And both thought the other side was stupid. And both people got angry and called each other's names. And I've seen this with politics. Again, both 
People were passionate. Both people thought they were right. Both people had the facts. Both sides had websites and proof to back up their claims, and both sides thought the other side was stupid. They both got angry, called each other names, and it just didn't work out very well. All right, let's back up a little here. Disagreement is a good thing when it's done in the right way. It's good to have a healthy conversation, and it's good when two people get angry at each other, have a great conversation, and still be friends. I like to compare it to a football game. You hit each other, you're mean, you're aggressive. At the end of the day, you can give each other a hug. That's what the conversation should be like. Again, it's okay to get angry, have a little disagreement. Do you know that 80% of all new products fail? Why? Well, there's a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons is someone didn't say something. Can you imagine in business if nobody disagreed about a new product, about a future, about the direction? So in business and politics, it's good to have a little disagreement, a little healthy conversation, as it's called. Arthur Brooks, he writes for the Washington Post, he's at the Harvard Business School, wrote a book called Love Your Enemies. And he says it's okay to get angry. In fact, there's no correlation between anger and divorce. He says it's not the anger, it's the contempt. Now, when people get angry, they're trying to change a behavior. Maybe they feel they've been wronged. It's the contempt, he says, is the problem. Back to quotes Arthur Schopenhauer. He's a 19th century philosopher. He basically says... When you feel contempt towards someone, you're showing that they are worthless as a person. In fact, John Gottman of the University of Washington studied thousands of married couples, and he found it was not the anger, but contempt was the early warning sign of divorce. The eye-rolling, the sarcasm. He found that when there was conflict, or maybe a little anger, when the discussion started with criticism or sarcasm, which is a form of contempt, that almost guaranteed future divorce. So think about that as you're attempting to persuade someone or change their mind. So when we have these emotional issues, it's getting more and more polarized. People aren't willing to accept other sides. So if you want to change someone's political point of view or any point of view, you've got to be careful. Because now with the internet and what's out there, anybody can prove their point is right with fact, with logic, with the link, with the website. Isn't that crazy? So that is the blunder being. You can yell. You can have your facts. You can have your figures. You can call them names. You can think they're stupid. You can be passionate about it, but it's not going to be very persuasive because the other side's exactly the same. And when both people think the other side is stupid, not willing to listen, then it's a very difficult persuasion process. So time out on that one. Let me talk about an article, then we'll get into some solution and listener email. The article, and it goes along with this as we talk about it, is from Yale University's and from the journal Frontiers of Human Neuroscience. Basically, the concept, it takes a lot of brain real estate to disagree. And that's important to understand. Disagreeing takes a lot more energy than agreeing, and the brain functions differently. So what the researchers did is they looked at brains of two people while they were talking. And of course, they got them talking about and arguing about politics and social issues. And not surprising, they found when two people agree, their brains exhibit calm activity when you look at the sensory areas of the brain. But when they disagreed, a lot of the other regions of the brain became involved. Their higher cognitive functions kicked in so they could combat the other person's argument. Let me add to that. When people get angry, not only does their brain kick into a higher cognitive function, blood could leave their brain. When they get way angry, blood leaves the brain. Now they're not thinking clearly. That's when a lot of things happen that shouldn't happen. 
So bottom line, it takes a lot more brain real estate to disagree than to agree. And so you have to understand people in a different emotional state, their brain is in a different state when people disagree with you. So the agreement, the brain activity showed that it was harmonious and your sensory areas of the brain focused more on the visual system, your eyes, probably to respond more to social cues from your partner. However, when there was dispute or anger, the areas of the brain that respond to social cues were less active. But then there was more activity in the frontal lobes and more activity what they call the higher order of executive functions. So the brain synchronized when we agree, but when we disagree, there's a disconnect. So they use the example of an orchestra, that when two brains disagree, it's like this orchestra, all these instruments playing different music, a lot of things going on. But when there's agreement, there's less cognitive engagement, and there's more social interaction between the brains, more like a musical duet. So that's the important thing to understand here. Our brains are in a different space between agreement and disagreement. So with that, those two things that we talked about so far, I want to go to listener email. This is Jeff. He just says the United States. Doesn't say what state. Oh, boy. And remember, when I use your email or comment on the show, you get the gold access to InfluenceUniversity.com. That's the advanced training with persuasion and influence, all the different tools that you can have access to. Check it out at InfluenceUniversity.com. You can also start off with the free membership. Jeff says, thanks for your podcast and your insights. I love taking the Persuasion IQ assessment. I've got a lot to work on. And by the way, we all have a lot to work on. This is a process. But you can take your free Persuasion IQ assessment at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's the spot to get all the information and to even check out the podcast. He says, I have a friend that is going crazy with politics. How can I change his mind about politics and be open that their ideas might not be correct? Well, all right, let's talk about it, Jeff. I'm not here to sugarcoat it. Let me look at this in a neutral fashion. But how do you change someone's mind on these emotional issues? You know, you're passionate about your topic. Again, that could be religion or politics or one of those fun social items we debate about. You're passionate about it. You post something on Facebook and that comment ends up in a war. There's some unfriending. There's some mean comments. There's people that agree. There's people that disagree. You get defensive, say mean things, and it's just a downward spiral from there to where you no longer have a friend. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking to keep the friend and change a mind. Now, remember with our brain, the first thing to think about we're wired differently, especially in politics. I love the book Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. And his research shows when you look at politics, conservatives and liberals they think differently. So you got to be careful in what you say and what you do and understand the brains are wired differently. See, his book talks about why good people disagree on religion and politics. He took a deep dive on that, and that was a big finding is that the brains are wired differently. And the other thing you have to understand, too, as we create a foundation here, and I've talked about this before, is that people watch the news that resonates with them, that tells their own truth to them. And every media outlet skewed is biased. You cannot not be biased. And so they watch the news, it resonates with them. So when someone brings up a different opinion, a different thought, a different news source, they're crazy, they're stupid because you've watched something else, you've seen something else. You have to understand too that social media is filtered to what you want to see, what you want to hear, and that's what's absorbing people's world. That's what they're seeing. And so you think they're crazy that they're telling lies, but each side thinks they're telling the truth, seeing the truth. And here's another interesting piece as we get going here on the foundation is that 
75% of your beliefs are the same as your parents. <laughs> your political, religious beliefs, that's just how we're wired. That's part of the process. That's important to understand. Now, I'd go out on a limb and say the other 25% are probably exactly the opposite, but I haven't seen that study. But I know 75% of your beliefs in the category we're talking about here are the same as your parents. So the first thing to think about as we talk about, okay, how do you do this, is we need to talk about your arrogance. And you're like, what? <laughs> I'm not sugarcoating here. If they sense you're arrogant, that all your beliefs are 100% correct, that they're 100% wrong, of course they're going to shut down because you're arrogant, they're dumb, you're smart. When they sense that, how are you going to persuade them? When you interrupt them, that's a big sign of arrogance. You're interrupting, you get angry, you treat them like they're stupid, their questions are dumb. Smart people don't think that way. So we got to back up. Are you coming across as arrogant? And I'm telling you, you probably are coming across as arrogant. If you think you're 100% correct in your beliefs, hello, maybe you're only 80% correct. Maybe you're only 60% correct. Maybe they're 10% correct. When you believe that their beliefs have no value and they're completely wrong and you're 100% correct, of course you're not going to listen. Of course you can't change your mind. That's pure arrogance. Maybe your truth is only 75% correct. I don't know what the number is. But when you go around thinking you're 100% correct and they're 100% wrong and they have no value in their thoughts and their beliefs, then there's a downward spiral when they sense that arrogance. Of course, you can't persuade them. So that's the first thing. So you have to ask yourself, what is your intent here to persuade them? Is your intent because you care about them as a person? Or is your intent to prove them that they're wrong? Is your intent because you care that you're trying to add value to their life? Is your intent just to prove your point of view is better than theirs? And that's one of the big mistakes, the big blunders here is you lead with your thoughts, your perspective, your beliefs, without ever trying to understand their point of view. And we know in persuasion and influence, if you don't listen to someone's point of view, and this could be anything in persuasion, then they're much more difficult to persuade because they feel you don't understand them. So you have to have empathy. Get in their shoes. I mean, the reality is you're either empathetic or arrogant. That's how you're coming across, whether that's a reality or not. You've got to care about this person. You've got to get in their shoes. You have to understand them without be condescending. You're like, well, Kurt, I am not condescending. Well, you probably are, and you don't even know it. You have to be willing to listen to their point of view. Whether you accept it or not, get in their shoes. Why do they think that way? You have to take a step back to truly understand their perspective. Validate their point of view. Find what beliefs overlap. And work with them to your desired belief or solution. Now, part of that, too, is your mindset. Of course, in their mindset, let's talk about yours first. Can you admit you're wrong, that maybe only 70% of you believe is true? Now, if you're not open to admit that you could be wrong, you're never really going to find the truth. You're never going to be able to persuade people. You have to be open to new insights. Now, we have to go to their mindset. They have to be in the same place. Are they willing to admit that maybe only half of what they believe is right or wrong? Do they really want to know? Do they really want to understand? Do they really want to change? That makes a big difference. So as you get into this persuasion process, start off, find their perspective. And I love the persuasion technique of, I don't know. Now, I got that from 12 Angry Men. It's an old black and white film. And it was a jury looking at this murder. Now, this young man was on trial for murder. And then they got into the jury and they took a vote. 11 guilty, one not guilty. They looked at this person, which was actually Henry Fonda, says, what are you, crazy? Look at the proof. Look at the evidence. And he just says, I don't know. I'm not sure. Can we look at the facts? Can we take a look at it? I don't know. He didn't take a stand at first. He didn't tell them that they were all wrong or dumb or stupid. He says, I, I don't know. 
Let's look at it. So do some fishing. You'll be surprised what you find out. I mean, I don't know. Let's take a look at the facts. Let's take a look at both sides. Let's start from the beginning and analyze all the issues together. And so when you start out that way, you don't get the resistance that you do and say, no, you're wrong. I'm right. And those are things you should say in your vocabulary. Oh, you're right on that point. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Can you help me understand? I'm confused on that point. Explain it to me. Yeah, I just don't get that. Hey, thanks for sharing. I haven't thought about it that way before. Or you can start off, today I'm going to persuade you and show you how wrong and stupid you are. Of course, you know the resistance you're going to get around that. And when you can use compliments, it's one of the 12 laws of persuasion, the law of esteem and maximum influence. Hey, pick up your free copy at maximizeyourinfluence.com. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. There's my plug for the day. But when you can do that, a few compliments, a few things that you agree on, that makes them easier to persuade. The next piece is start with things that they're familiar with, things that you might both agree with. They call it milk before meat. When you talk about a baby, you can't start them off with a steak. They got to start off with milk. And that's true with persuasion. Don't start with a complex, hard to understand concept. Start with the basics. And that's true when I teach persuasive presentations. I can't start off with charisma and stage presence or isopraxism. We've got to back up and address fear, purpose, and passion before I can get to the advanced topics. The same is true here. Now, it might be a no-brainer to you to start with the advanced, but maybe they're not ready to start there. Another little tidbit here, let me add to this. When you're doing this, start with analogies, metaphors, similes, and maybe use some imagery they're used to. When I was doing research for laws of charisma... Charismatic people did use more analogies, metaphors, similes. It just rang true to people. So think about that. Things you can use when you're persuading. Even your word choice. Hey, for example, let me illustrate that. Are all things you can do to help with the illustration. Now, as you're doing this, do a little research and ask yourself, what are their influences? What news media are they watching? What social media do they use? You know, what's going to resonate with them? What are they listening to? And ask yourself, where did the belief come from? Did it come from their parents, osmosis, from the internet, from society? Because if you want to change someone's mind, you have to figure out where their information is coming from. In fact, an interesting study done at Cornell University found as you do your research and find out what they're listening to and and the vocabulary that they use, they found it was more persuasive in your arguments to use words that are different from their language. Now, a lot of times when there's agreement, you want to use the same type of language, but if there's a word that causes emotional triggers that's going to take you down the wrong path, the study found you use different language, different words that you both could start to agree on. Let's use the government, for example. They keep saying tax increase, you might say revenue enhancement. They keep saying riot, you might say civil disorder. They say illegal alien, you might say undocumented worker. Shot by the police could be legal intervention. Depends on the the interpretation, the side you're on, how you talk about it. There are different ways you can repackage those words to find a different word. So as you do this, let me explain a concept called foot in the door, F-I-T-D, also called sequential request. A great persuasion tool. Basically, I know you don't want to hear this, it's easier to persuade people over five encounters than one encounter. It's easier to persuade people a little at a time than in one big encounter. One of my favorite studies happened at a university with psychology students. They were asked, hey, will you participate in a sensory perception study Saturday? And it was early in the morning, like 7 a.m. And it was very low percent, like 
That's a big ask. But then they just adjusted it instead of one big ask into three smaller yeses. Hey, will you help us in a sensory perception study? Well, yeah. Saturday available? Yeah. You available this time? Yeah. It more than doubled to 56%. And you should go ding, 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 hello. All they did was ask three yes questions instead of one big question. That's foot in the door. And I can spout off a lot of studies, but here's the bottom line. If you're getting a lot of resistance, a lot of no, what you're asking is too big. You're vomiting on them. You're saying too much. Break it down to smaller yeses, smaller things to understand, little things to do. The bottom line is this. Persuade a little bit at a time instead of one big data dump. And part of that too is careful not to get a no. If you're sensing if you're getting resistance, they're not going to accept to get a no. Just say, hey, let's revisit this. Let's do a little more research. And that's true in the workplace. If you're sensing a no about your big project, don't get the no, get the maybe. Hey, I'll come back in two weeks with a little more information. We'll talk about it again because the bottom line is it's much easier to turn a maybe into a yes than a no into a yes. And the next item is build trust. Do they trust you? I mean, do they? Have you earned it? Do you have their best interest in mind? Are you open? What's the past history show? Have you been wrong before and owned up to it? Because the more the person is familiar with you and your values, and what you do or your action, the more likely they are to trust you. So track record's important. History's important. Now, if you don't have that, one thing you can do is you can borrow trust and borrow credibility by citing a higher authority. Someone maybe that's nationally recognized, that they know, that's respected, that's an expert in that field. Now, it has to be someone that they accept, not you. What is a higher authority that you can quote you can send them to that they can read about that can help you with your argument and persuading people to your point of view. The next one is be careful of cognitive dissonance. It's also one of the 12 laws of persuasion. Bottom line, the human brain needs to be right. Your goal is to help people persuade themselves, make them feel like it was their idea. Basically, you gently stretch the rubber band to help them understand that they need to change. There's a better way. And it was their idea. Otherwise, when you stretch rubber band a little too far, people come up with these knee-jerk reactions that hurt your ability to persuade and influence. Let's take politics, for example, since that's what we're talking about. Let's say your favorite politician, the local mayor, I mean, you campaigned for them, you voted for them, they're the best. You spent your time and money convincing family and friends and neighbors to vote for this person. You thought they were a good person, a family person, a person of values, a person that could be trusted. And after two years in office, having an affair with a staff member, and accused of embezzlement. Now, you got to be careful. When you put so much time and energy with this person, it's hard to say, oh, yeah, they're bad. Some people will go into what I call the denial. Oh, that's just the media going after them. They're doing a great job. It's the opposing party that's trying to smear them. It'll blow over and the facts will come out. It's just a big misunderstanding. Or you might do what's called the reframe. Well, the media said affair. Didn't they actually sleep with them? Maybe they're just good friends. Maybe the wife already knew. Is that a big deal? Or you do what's called the search. I've heard about this reporter before breaking the story. They've blown things out of proportion before. Everybody I talk to says the story's not true. Then there's the separation. Well, they're doing a good job. Inflation is low. Unemployment's not a problem. Crime's been reduced. They're doing a good job. Private life, public life, going back and forth. <laughs> okay, you see what I'm doing here? When you see these knee-jerk reactions, people coming up with these excuses, you're probably pushing a little too hard. You need to back up, employ the foot-in-the-door technique, and bottom line, make them feel like it was their idea. 
People are more likely to change their mind when they reach the conclusion for themselves, when they've persuaded themselves, not because you told them to. So, hey, there's some great tools for you to use a little bit at a time. Become a better listener. And if you get to the point to where you're still not quite there, maybe agree to disagree, still be friends. You'll be able to understand that more. Maybe there's more discussion in the future. Keep the door open. A little more time for both of you to do a little research and to accept. Maybe we have different beliefs. Hey, I know it's a little long today, but I know that was something that came out. I've had a couple requests for this topic. But there are the tools, things that you can use to change people's opinions, thoughts about more emotionally charged topics. Things that people are very passionate about and sometimes they're very resistant to change. This is based on research. This works when you do it the right way. So take a look at these tools, whether you're selling a product, you're negotiating a deal, you're persuading someone to change their opinions, their thoughts, their minds, or you just want to have a better relationship or make more money. Take what you've learned today, listen to this podcast a few times, and use these tools. Hey, appreciate your time, your love, and support. Of course, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and iHeartRadio under Maximize Your Influence. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. Really appreciate that. All the information you need is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Increase your influence, become a power negotiator, and go out and persuade with power.